Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. We have breaking news in the land of names and logos. As you all know, we recently had Digit Murphy on from the new NWHL team in Toronto. She, we could not get out of her what the name of the team was going to be. Moments before we started recording today, we got this press release. The name of the team is the Toronto Six, established 2020. What do you think about the Six? It reminds me of when Drake put out the album Views from the Six. Mm-hmm. And then for like a year and a half straight, every person I knew on Instagram who went to Toronto had to caption their photos Views from the Six. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's going to have a second wave. Look, we're going to have Digit on again probably to defend this name because she was a very enthusiastic guest and I'm not going to be kind. But you come up with a number and you come up with a really outdated logo that looks like the Ottawa Senators of all teams. Like, this is 2020. <laughs> it looks it looks like it's it looks like a, a, there's a – the only way I could put it is that it's a T that becomes a six. So it's a little bit like the Devils logo where the – the J's got the devil horns, but in this case, it looks like the, their logo has sort of a, a handle that you carry it with, would be the best way to describe mm. it, maybe. Um, the six, as they say, uh, is one of Toronto's nicknames. Uh, this is as, as, as thirst trappy as possible to get Drake to pay attention to your team, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then, but it also, it's the sixth NWHL team, right? So there's that name too. And uh, the team says, the name also works perfectly for hockey since a full complement of players on the ice at one time for a team is six. So there you go. Multiple layers. Wow. A parfait of meaning for the Toronto Six. You seem unimpressed. <laughs> we got to get Digit back on. That's all I got to say. <laughs> um. There you go. So uh, congratulations to whoever is the next NWHL expansion team because you get to be the Magnificent Seven, I, I imagine, if the naming convention continues. Um, all right. This is a cool show. We've got some amazing guests for you uh, and, and also the latest news on whether or not the NHL is coming back to play and what it's going to look like. All that and more on this edition of ESPN and Ice. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey. Featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan. I'll be an NHL reporter this week. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, lots of stuff to get to. I did want to touch on, uh, this interesting bit from, uh, Matt Duchesne, who was on, uh, Hockey Central on, uh, Sportsnet as we were doing the show. He says, you don't want to have a COVID cup. He's talking about mm. the integrity of the playoffs. And, uh, I believe let's keep it as traditional as possible. I'd love to see us jump to a 16 team playoff. Normal best of seven playoff, maybe play a little more frequently because these guys are going to be fresh. Um, and not a huge fan of uh, a super expanded and crazy playoff format. But I, and I imagine he's not going to be alone. I mean, that's really kind of what we're dealing with here is that the, you know, the 24-team playoff format, which we'll get into later on in the show, has been uh, bandied about by, by no means set in stone. 
Um, but it does seem to be the remedy that they're trying to figure out right now to rope in wildcard teams, to rope in other teams that may attract fans into a restarted season. Um, but there's going to be pushback, and, and there are clearly other options that are being debated as well. Um, where do you stand on this? Where, where, do you think 24 is going to end up being the number? Uh, we'll talk about this in depth a little bit later, but do you think 24 is going to end up being the number? First, I want to create a bingo game of all of the words that have become common in our vernacular um, due to the coronavirus pandemic. In these unprecedented times, hub <laughs> cities, and one that you just <laughs> And one you just mentioned before, pushback. I feel like that's all we've been hearing about these calls. There's been pushback. There's been pushback from these sides. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, honestly, I believe that the NHL player pool is extremely diverse in opinion. And, you know, we have some guys and we had Brendan Dillon on the show and he represents this where it's like, we're so competitive. We made it this far in the season. Let's go. Like, let's play. I want to win this cup. Um, deep down inside, I think there's a lot of players who don't really want to play if this is still a really prickly issue. They don't want to get involved. They're like, why don't we just put our focus to next year? Mm-hmm. And then there's players like Matt Duchesne who say, we don't want the COVID cup, but don't want the let's COVID face cup. it, nobody wants COVID. Like, this is a situation we're in. I do think that the NHL is leaning toward 24 teams just because it ticks off a lot of the boxes. Um, it figures out how to solve this regular season mess where teams did um, – ended different teams, um, ended with a different amount of games. It figures out how to have a little bit of a play-in format before you go right to playoff games. And most importantly, it includes markets like Montreal and Chicago, which conveniently would create buzz. Right, for sure. As far as the calls go, um, I heard from a couple of sources that have been on some of these NHL and NHLPA calls that the issue right now is that we're still in the exchanging of concepts phase and mm-hmm. that um, – what happens when you exchange concepts on things like the postseason is that it's almost like hitting the reset button every time. There's not a whole lot of uh, let's 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 drill down on one concept right now and then build on tap. It's not a Jenga tower. It's literally just restarting the Jenga game over and over again uh, on these calls. And um, and there's a certain level of frustration to that. Um, and obviously, part of this too is that the concepts change from week to week. They change from day to day sometimes. And uh, it's really hard to kind of get a handle on what exactly they're going to do going forward. A few of the things that we learned in the last uh, week since the last time we joined you, one of them is interesting, which is, you know, the NHL doesn't really have a remedy for players skating on their own. Um, mm-hmm. More and more states are reopening. Uh, we, t- we, we talked to Rick Tockett about this uh, a bit later in the show about how Arizona's open. Uh, their gyms are open. You assume that they're going to have sheets of ice open as well. Um, there are other places that have available sheets that are open, Texas being one of them. And the NHL's approach to this is, look, we, we don't want teams to practice. Um, we don't want teams and players using their own facilities. But while we're very cognizant of the competitive competitive advantage being there for players and teams that are able to skate versus players and teams that don't have any available ice because every facility in the state of California, for example, is closed – um, there's no way we can enforce it because for the last two plus months, everybody in Sweden's been skating and, and injured players have been skating. And so they recognize the disparity and there's not going to be any prohibition of it, but it does speak to how hard it's going to be to even try to maintain a semblance of this alleged competitive balance when so many guys are going to have access to so many things that other players won't. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think we've been focusing a lot on the big picture stuff because that's, of course, what's important to us. Are we going to get a playoffs? Who's in the playoffs? But something that's also going on in these calls is a lot of minutia that's going to have to get hashed out. And it's not exactly easy. Like one of the things, uh, drink or take a shot or put an X on your bingo card that players gave pushback on was the fact that they didn't want to be there without their families. Okay. Mm. So now if you're in a situation, you've got to figure out, how often are we testing the players? Are we able to test their families? What happens if somebody goes out to the grocery store? Do they have to go get quarantined because they went against rules? Um, they're figuring out how many people can be on the bench. What are the rules? Are we going to adjust some of the things on the ice, like no scrums? Um, these are all things they have to work through. And testing, though, I want to bring that up because it is the most important thing right now. And the NHL has this infectious disease consultant. His name is Dr. Bruce Farber. And they declined uh, my interview with him, but he did do something with um, – Bloomberg radio last week. And I, I think I mentioned this on last week's pod, but he was mentioning the number of tests that they would have to do. He was saying two, three times a week at like most. That's an incredible, credible number. So mm -hmm. the NHL now is in a position where they're going to need to procure these tests. They've been on this adamant stance that we're not going to step in front of the pub front of the public. We're not going to take the risk on, you know, public relations on that and, and say that we're creating exemption for our players. But how are they going to procure these tests? And at some point, you have to figure out, is the cost worth it? Because they're like 100 bucks a pop. Yeah. And, and that's on top of the cost of securing facilities. It's on top of the cost of accommodations. Like you said, it's it's a lot of money that we're dealing with here. And that's why, you know, the focus has been on four different hub arenas for the restart of this season with 24 teams. But I've been told by numerous people that that's, that's not even set in stone. It could easily just be two places. Um, and then we haven't even talked about, I don't think any of us have talked about what happens when the playoffs advance. Do you maintain four places? Do you drop it down to two places? If it's two places, how do you choose those two places? Is that a separate bidding process? Where will the Stanley Cup be rewarded or awarded to somebody? Is it going to be in one place? Probably. Who gets to have that place? How much are they paying for it? Does it even matter? How does these teams make money? How do the arenas make money? Nobody knows. One other interesting thing this week I thought was um, uh, Max Domi being in the news. I almost said Ty Domi. Ty Domi is usually in the news, <laughs> but not for these reasons. Uh, Max Domi had to talk about his uh, type 1 diabetes um, on a conference call recently with the media that the Montreal Canadiens had because Mitch Marner was streaming a video game and extemporaneously wondered about the somebody dying on the somebody dying uh, from COVID when the players come back to play, and then openly worrying about the well-being of Max Domi, uh, saying something to the effect of like, if he gets COVID, he's done, or something like that. And uh, and yeah, that's probably not the thing that you want on the stream. So Max Domi had to answer for this, and and he you know acknowledged the fact that there are definitely health challenges for anybody who has type one diabetes, and he's going to be cognizant of it and all these other things. But uh, it's it's just a reminder that um, you know there's it's a huge league. And there's a lot of guys with different health conditions. There's got to be guys that might be more susceptible to the effects of COVID than others. And, um, you know, there are just so many, uh, considerations that are on the minds of a lot of guys and, and have to be on the minds of, of, of teams and, and are clearly on the lines of opponents too, where Mitch Marner is worried about the well-being of, of a Canadian. Uh, we should all be worried about the well-being of Canadians at this moment. Um. <laughs> 
And I think that's the perfect segue to get into our next guest because he's a coach in the NHL and he's got to figure out all of these issues if his team gets back on the ice, which at this moment they would. It's the coach of the Arizona Coyotes. Joining us now, head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, Rick Tockett, joining uh, ESPN on Ice. And, and Rick, thanks for the time, man. Much appreciated. I guess the first thing uh, we need to know is uh, how are you communicating with players these days? How often do you talk to the boys? Is it big group Zoom calls, or is it more one-on-one stuff? You know, I, I've seen the odd player around, or whether a text uh, here or there. I, I think because you know, you're starting to hear some stuff that's starting to, you know, that could happen. Um, I have some calls set up here coming here in the next five days with almost every player um, on a few things. So. Uh, there'll be a lot more communication. I mean, I've had some, not a ton, um, over the over the quarantine here, but I think uh, now we've already set up some calls coming up here in the next five, six days. So there'll be a lot more definitely coming uh, here in the near future. Coach, I'm curious, you know, when we're starting to talk about format and the disclaimer with all this, of course, is that it's fluid, it's going to change, but the going theory is it's going to be a 24-team field. Um, I'm curious, first, as your perspective of a coach with a team that's right on the cusp of a playoffs, but also just a guy who's been around the league a long time, like, what do you think when you hear that? Well, the opportunity. Um, you know, for me, it's opportunity uh, for, for our organization, Um you, know, you get in this thing. Um, it's it's going to be obviously a quicker. Uh, it's more of a you know it's not a marathon. It's more of a you know a, a sprint per se. Um, and you have an opportunity. Uh, you know you you look at training camps. You know just throughout the years, guys going to training camp, and there's always a team. Uh, the first month comes out of the gate quick, right? Uh, you know as the season goes on, things start to separate a little bit, and, and teams start to get back into it, but. It's no different than here. You know, the guys have been off for two months, three months. It's the guys that have prepared themselves um, now uh, and the guys, in, you know, when we uh, eventually are allowed to have a training camp. Uh, because once, you, once you know, they, they start and training camp's over, uh, there's no, like, oh, here's some exhibition games. Uh, you know, you, you might have a bad couple of weeks. And, it, you know, you have a couple of bad weeks, you, you know, you, I guess in this format you're out. So um, <laughs> I think uh, the opportunity is just huge for everybody. Were you, were you on pins and needles at all trying to follow this? Like you guys obviously weren't in uh, by by the math uh, when the season shut down. He did have a, a decent number of games left. I think he had like uh, twelve games left. So anything could happen, being how tightly packed everybody was. But were you worried they might just jump to sixteen and leave you guys out in the cold? You know, it was kicked around. Um, you know, it's been kicked around that just the top sixteen that get in. Uh, you know, seventy games has been a, a, enough of the sample size and. But then you know, then, then you know, then you start getting oh, well. It's not fair because some teams had you know harder schedule. Like I don't think there's really, I don't think there's a perfect situation. If that happened, the top sixteen, uh, you know, you have to accept it as a coach and organization. You move on. Um, but yeah, pins. I wouldn't say pins and needles. And obviously, um, you know, I, I felt that uh, you know, hopefully they would go to this format, let some of those bubble teams in, and, and uh, you know, it's not like a big discrepancy. It's not like you know, you're letting a team that's you know way out of the playoffs and it's not fair. I mean, you're talking a few points here and there, so I don't think it's that unfair. That said, when we get into the field, do you feel like this is, could be the year that it could be anybody? Like, are you looking at some teams, like I look at the Colorado Avalanche, for example, in the West, and they hit so many injuries, and then all of a sudden they come back and they're super healthy. Columbus Blue Jackets, same thing. Like, could anybody get into this tournament and win it? Yeah, that's a great point, Emily. Everybody's going to I, I, I I'm pretty sure everybody's going to be healthy, so 
that that shuffles the deck a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's to me, it's the team that can you know that they can that plays fast, the quickest, that can stay to their structure the quickest. I mean, uh, there's really the, like you said, there's no time to just kind of ease into it. Like that's what we were talking today, and, uh, and I'm gonna have a Zoom call with the coaches the next couple of days. Is training camp? That's one thing that the coaches have. Figure how you know what's the best way in training camp. It's uh, you know the one thing during this layoff I think players lose is a competitive their competitive edge. Mm. You know that's the hardest thing to get back right away. Um, so does you know does your training camp have to be a little more competitive than usual because you know sometimes you have training camp you already have the whole year so you try to space it out a bit but uh, you might not have time uh, to space it out. So yeah, to me the competitive uh, competitive edge is something that we really have to instill in our players right from day one. A shiver just went down my spine thinking about Rick Tockett making a uh, camp more competitive. <laughs> Jesus. Uh. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking of uh, Michael Jordan as my assistant coach. Talk about competitive. <laughs> right? That guy, that guy a- I should pick his brain. He'll have the training camp. There might be fights in our camp if we hired Michael Jordan. Is that guy, I don't think he's the more competitive guy I've ever seen it during that documentary. Well, Maybe. what you got to do is find spites and grudges for all of your players and just really play it up. Yeah, find their enemies. You know what? It's true. Like, one of my players called me and said, it's a little different now. Like, back then, players hated each other, you know, and and they asked me, and I said, yeah, I had a general, you know, the general hate for for organizations and teams you play against, and it's a little different now. I don't think it's – they're competitive now, but I don't think there's a hate. But uh, Michael Jordan, he'd zero on a guy, and he'd build up that hate, and he'd go off and score, you know, 35 points and win. win. So let me let me pause on that. Where do you think the hate went? Is it because everybody it's a different kind of athlete? Is it that everybody's making money now? Is it they're all friends in the off season, they're all working, you know, they're all training with Gary Roberts? Like what is where did the hate yeah. go? Well, it's a good, you know, it's it's funny. It's it's a lot of that. Guys train together, uh a lot of social media guys are you know, they're on social media together a lot. I think that uh there's a lot of uh, you know, the All-Star games uh you know, tournament or uh, you know the the uh, World Cup they have um, the the things over there. The guys, the, the integration of the Europeans with the Americans mm. are more. They're you know the Europeans stay in the United States and Canada more. I, I think it's a lot of different things uh, because guys are around each other more and become buddies. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I, I when I played, you didn't see the guys as much, and um, you know, and obviously there was a lot of hate in the sense that. Whether it's a player or, or whatever or organization, it just seemed like you know there wasn't a lot of talking and warm up with the other player. I know that for sure. Uh, <laughs> if you did, if I did, Mike Keenan would probably bench me. So I didn't talk to the other player on the other team because Mike Keenan used to watch our warm ups. I know that as a coach, I don't watch warm ups, but Mike Keenan used to watch warm ups to see who was ready to play. You uh, you brought it up, so I might as well I might as well hit you with this. I was going to ask you anyway later on. You played with Mario and Yager. Which which one of those guys is better suited for a last dance multi episode documentary Jordan style, Mario or Yager? Ooh, well, Mario's a very simple guy. Uh, you know, uh, there's, there's there's a very simple. Yager's had a little bit more flair. Um, mm-hmm. I think Mario would be great. I think Mario would be great. I mean, talk about two difference. Like you know, if you watch Michael Jordan, like Mario was very competitive. Didn't say a lot, but. Uh, the odd time uh, he would he would he would say something inspirational or actually get on a teammate, but very rarely. I think Michael Jordan was a little bit more aggressive when it comes to that. So you get two different athletes, two great, 
two pinnacle, unbelievable athletes, uh, both lead in different ways. Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I'd say Mario still. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot we don't know about Mario, but Yag's got has the gambling thing, so <laughs> that's, yeah. that's more more Jordan esque. Yeah, I, I don't know how much he uh, gambles uh, now, but I know Yag used, used to play. I think he used to play Baccarat or something. Yeah, he, Boy, he had he? a funky way of playing these games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he, he liked to play Bach or something like that. I don't know. I know he liked to play. All right, this is totally switching gears then. Uh, you know, we're starting to talk about what hockey could look like after this pandemic. And, you know, these are all hypotheticals, but we could see something like spitting being banned, players having to wear full face shields, uh, no handshake line, maybe players not dressing in the locker room anymore. Have you thought about any of these things, and how do you think they'd be received by players? Yeah, well, the, the, the scrum, the no scrums and all that stuff. I, it, well, I guess, I guess when it really comes down to it, um, Whatever you're dealt, you have to. You got to deal with it. I think that's really what it comes down to. I, I mean, I have a tough time saying. How do you tell a guy? You, know, you, you go in front of that, and you know you're trying to fight position. You know, the whistle and there's no scrums. Like what? Like that's going to be a tough one, right, Emily? I mean, how do you? Right. How do you make sure there's no scrums? Uh, the full face shield and stuff. I I understand it. I, uh, um, but it definitely is going to change a lot of the look of the game, and it really will. Yeah, for sure. And and speaking of that, um, I know that Arizona is opening up a bit. I know the gyms are open. I think I saw yeah. like they're gonna they're gonna start opening museums and aquariums soon, uh, too. I think like Memorial Day weekend. Um, have have your boys gotten a chance to, in some cases, get back on the ice at all? Uh, I mean, I, I assume some of them are probably hitting the gym, but have they been able to get get any ice in the last uh, couple weeks? And as the state starts to reopen. Yeah, I honestly don't know, and I and I honestly, whatever they do, I have to turn a blind. I, I mean, we're not they're not supposed to. I think now that uh, Arizona's opened up a bit, I think there's going to be a chance for some guys to grab some ice. Um, we still have uh, through this quarantine, we had 13, 14 guys stay here. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the one luxury of uh, being in Arizona. A lot of guys stay here through quarantine, um, and uh, you know, they got got to be able to train, obviously, in a field by themselves. Um, so that was, you know, and I've heard, you know, a lot of guys are in pretty good, real good shape with that, which helps then, you know, quarantine back East or something to be a little tougher. So, um, yeah, I know, uh, I know I, I saw Austin Matthews uh, a couple of weeks ago at a coffee shop, talked to him for a while. I know he's training out here and, you know, uh, you know, maybe those guys will all skate together and they get some points pointers off them <laughs> to help. All right, I have to ask you, you know, usually this time of year you're doing a lot of hockey and you're in days. I know you're preparing, but what's been your one pop culture addiction? Has there been like a show, <laughs> a movie, a book? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I went through the Netflix uh, for the first month. I mean, I was watching everything. Uh, I just, I'm watching a new show called Bosch on uh, Prime Video. Oh, that's been nice. kind of... That's been a kind of a you know that's a three you know I started three four episodes a night day and I I, I get I binge watch so I got to be careful uh, just actually just started to get back into golf I haven't golfed like I used to but I just started taking lessons um, and you know the workouts bought a bought a bike bought a bike so I bike a lot so there's a lot of things that I, I haven't even before the quarantine I didn't bike very much uh, before that like uh, an actual bike and I do, I've done that and kind of kind of explored the Arizona a little bit more than I would have if we were in season. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say those things have kept me busy. Nice, nice. Last one for me, and thanks for the time, man. Uh, much appreciated. I, I've been thinking a lot about Taylor Hall lately. And, uh, I mean, you talk about every single thing that could happen to a dude happening at the same time. I mean, you know, pandemic, 
uh, you know, playoff uncertainty, free agency coming up, thinking about your contract, thinking about how the economic state of the world affects how people are going to give you your next contract, all this stuff. Have you ever, have you had any conversations with Taylor and, and, you know, if you were putting yourself in his, his skates, where would your head be at right now as far as what, what his life is like <laughs> these days? Yeah, it's, it's a good example. You know, you're talking about a guy's, you know, gonna make, you know, before this, we're going to make a pile of money. He, uh, you know, he, he was going to be a free agent. Um, you know, we acquired him and, you know, we've had a conversation about two, three weeks ago, uh, with John Chike and myself. And what I love the fact that, you know, he was a very positive guy. He loves his time here. Um, um, but, you know, he's got a lot of thinking to do, um, you know, with this whole pandemic and, like he said, you know, he he he, he you know he's you know he's quoted saying to the press, but he told me he goes, you know, I don't want to go through another year playing, trying to you know play a one year contract. You know, he wants to get settled somewhere. Um, so yeah, he's got a lot of different uh, you know options that he's got away. Um, you know, he's a smart kid. He's going to make the right decision and what's better for, best for him. It's not, you know, I think with Taylor, I think it's always about the money. I think it's about being comfortable in the situation. You know, he wants to be the best. He wants to he wants to win. I mean, you know, he hasn't had success uh, in the sense, not personally, but as a team, found a team that's had success. And, you know, he wants to get, get on a team that can not just win today, but can win for the next five, six years or whatever, how long he signs. So, yeah, he's got a lot of a lot of thoughts in his head. He's a smart kid, and he'll make the right decision. Do you think, I mean, reading between the lines, do you think everything that's happened increases the chances of him staying in, in Arizona? Well, listen, I, I wouldn't take us out of the running. I mean, I'm obviously unbiased, um, you know, and I'm not saying he is going to sign here, but I definitely think we are a team he's very interested in and in, in, uh, staying with. Um, you know, you, you know, I think he really, you know, as an individual, what, what I like about him is he's obsessed right now with trying to to win. He wants to win so bad, and what what is he willing to do? Um, and that you, you always want to have those type of players on your team. So, uh, do I feel that we're one of those teams in his in his in his his group of teams, I think we are. Awesome. Well, Coach, we truly appreciate your time, and I'm glad to hear that you got a bike after you took that nasty spell on the rollerblades. So sounds like <laughs> yeah. you found a safer uh, way to get around. <laughs> somebody, actually, somebody else went down, not one of our players, but somebody in the organization, I think our trainer's son went down. He went down hard. I think he might have broke his wrist. So this rollerblade, you got to wear wrist guards and a helmet. I, 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 I didn't wear it, so that, that was the, the problem with me. The next time I, if I ever do rollerblade again, I'll be wearing a wrist guards and a helmet for sure. It's a good PSA. Awesome. Well, thanks, Coach. Okay, guys. Take care. care. All right. Rick Tockett, ladies and gentlemen, sharing his wisdom, his knowledge, and agreeing. I don't know. Did he he pick Mario or or Yager, you think, ultimately? It sounded like he was kind of veering towards the Mario lane for a Mario last dance in that conversation. I was thinking Mario. I also cannot believe you had the audacity to ask him about gambling. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I didn't think about that. It did not cross your mind, so I'm glad you did uh, it. He didn't mention it either. So I was thinking more along the lines of, of Yager. Yager used to hit AC. Yager had uh, a, a debt on a, like an online uh, tournament thing, too. So it's good times. Uh, 2014 playoff. Matthew Shane, we mentioned off the top of the show that uh, he would rather see the NHL jump to a 16-team playoff uh, normal best of seven playoff, maybe play a little bit more frequently because guys are going to be fresh. And you can play a game at three o'clock on a Friday, then seven on a Saturday, and there's no travel. Um, he says, "You, you, I just think you got to keep as much integrity as possible. Um, you don't want 
to have a COVID cup, and I'm worried that if we force this thing and try, and it's a little gimmicky and it's not quite right, whoever wins the cup is going to have people try and take it away from them for their whole lives, and guys don't deserve that. I feel very passionately about this part of things. I think it's sacrilegious if we don't appreciate what past champions did and make it as big of a challenge and with as much integrity as possible. Now, two things. First of all, we actually talked about this briefly on our editorial call this morning about the idea of um, the asterisk, the idea of it being not an official cup, the idea of a Drew Doughty type coming up and saying, you didn't actually win the cup, you win the COVID cup. And it seems like a guy like Matt Duchesne, who's ultra competitive, uh, has this on his mind. But I would say that, like, his concerns here with regard to um, uh, in the integrity of the Stanley Cup playoffs – I've I've not heard anybody really voice that it would be anything less than seven game series once we get to sixteen teams. I think that seems to be the thinking for the NHL and the NHLPA, hasn't it? I, I think that in these unprecedented times, drink, cross off your bingo card. Uh, there's <laughs> not going to be an ideal situation where we do have um, you know a proper playoff. So if anybody wins, we're all going to give them credit. Um, for getting through the grind of whatever this makeshift is. Now, I'm curious, Greg, I want to get into the uh, idea about these round-robin games. How do you envision those playing out? Well, so there's been two different formats I've heard. One is the one that's kind of been bandied about by a couple people. I think Elliot Friedman might have done one of his uh, classic informed speculation kind of columns about the format where it would be a, uh, a certain amount of points seated to the teams at the top of the division. So in other words, everybody's playing each other, right? And uh, the teams at the top of the division, they get a certain amount of points, and then uh, they build on that total. And if you're the team at the bottom of, of the six teams that are still playing, you start with maybe like no points, but you have the ability to maybe move up if you win games. And that's how we'll determine the seating. That's one concept of it. And the other concept of it was the bottom uh, four teams would all play each other in some sort of round robin whilst the top two teams would play each other in maybe a two or three game tournament to determine the top seed in then a playoff round. Now, keep in mind two factors for all of this. One, the players want games before the playoffs. That is a plank in their platform. Like Emily said before, like they have certain things they've been asking for over and over again. Don't take us away from our families is one of them. Another one has been we want games before we get to playoff games. That has been something they've talked about since the beginning of this process. So this round-robin idea would satisfy that desire. It would also satisfy, in theory, the financial obligations of the National Hockey League's teams towards their local broadcast partners and their local sponsorship partners. And I, I have a couple of people in the NHL tell me that it is a kind of serving two masters idea that, in theory, mm. this could get them enough games where they could satisfy some of those obligations. Now, one of the things that's interesting about this is uh, you got a few teams they ain't going to be playing. Um, you know, the, that. so I don't know how they satisfy those obligations. Maybe everybody throws their money in a pool or something and you help out those teams that aren't going to be playing. Um, but this, this round-robin idea would help out both of those aspects, and that's one of the reasons why they've been really kind of exploring the concept, I think. Do I like it? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I Listen... I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. I'm not a player. I I feel like that the idea that you can't just jump into a best of three series against another team, 
um, when both teams are in the same boat physically and having not played since the beginning of March. I mean, who cares? I, 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 I don't, I mean, it's going to be intense no matter what. I mean, it's the idea that like you're going to play these round robin games at a different speed and tempo than other games when there's clearly like a finite number of them and it involves playoff seating. It's crazy to me that that's going to be the case. Um, so I have, I've got no problem with them just jumping into the playoffs, but I do understand the concerns from the players and obviously the uh, aims of the teams that they want to do round robin stuff. Do you like the round robin idea? I think it's fine. I think nothing, like I said, is going to be ideal. Something I've been thinking about though, just big picture because entering this week, there was all this momentum, right? Like we felt like the NHL was really driving to announce something this week. And now we're at Tuesday and it feels like all of a sudden the momentum has totally slowed down. Mm. Nothing came out of that board of governors call. Now we have the U.S.-Canada border being ex- uh, closed until at least June 21st. The NHL saying it's hopeful that it won't put a wrench in plans, but that's really not ideal. And I have to think, do you feel like the NHL league office all of a sudden has like less power than it ever has? Hmm. Like if you think about it, they lost so hard on this June draft idea that they really pushed for. They wanted to announce something this week. They are not probably not going to be able to. Gary Bettman is forcefully saying he's not even thinking about canceling the season. That doesn't guarantee that he's going to cancel the season. Mm-hmm. And it almost feels to me like they're kind of getting to this point of desperation where they're trying so hard to make it work. But uh, we just see how thin that string is that that really is hanging on. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, you know, one aspect of it is is uh, as I wrote about uh, on on ESPN.com a few weeks ago, the fact that the players are the ones that really do hold a lot of the power at this point because they're going to be the ones that determine whether they're coming back or not. Nobody's going to force them to play. And, uh, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a position they're probably not that familiar with. I think they they also have the power in some ways to try to reduce their debt load, the amount of money they're going to have to owe to the owners to equal out this thing. I mean, there's probably going to be some CBA negotiation behind the scenes where, okay, we come back, we do X, Y, Z, we do this for you. What do you do? What are you going to do for us? Um, I'm sure that's going to be part- Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but to the, I think where, from what I've gathered, uh, Gary Bettman really took it on the chin and, and did not anticipate their, the, 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 to use your bingo card again, the pushback was the draft. I really thought, mm-hmm. I think, from what I've heard, Bettman really thought that the draft idea made total sense, that everybody would be on board for it. Um, you know, Bill Daly writes a detailed memo explaining their, their arguments and it reads very much like a, here's what we're going to do memo. And we all thought, okay, this is it. And then it doesn't happen, and you come to realize that enough teams and enough important teams had a problem with it to the point where the NHL wasn't able to execute it on their timeline, which never happens. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been it's been interesting to see that 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 happen. Um, all right, let's get to our next guest. And now joining us on the line is somebody that I've wanted to talk to for a very very long time. She is probably the greatest goaltender in the world. Um, maybe top five in the world if we're being generous here, but it's Nora Ratu of Finland. And Nora, first I've got to ask you, do you live on a farm in Minnesota? Are you farming right now? <laughs> no, not farming anymore. It's actually the final episode is coming out tomorrow in Finland, and I'm in the final. So people will find out tomorrow if I win or not. So. Okay, and can you explain I, I to me this, the, this? I live in the city in Minnesota. 
Okay, but explain <laughs> to us this TV competition because this is incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a, a people are probably confused when I'm talking about farm, but yeah, this we. Um, I did this show last fall, and it's coming out of TV right now in Finland. Is it a competition? Like, who could be the best farmer? Yeah, so it's kind of like, um, I think more popular in the U.S. would be Survivor. So it's kind of a Survivor okay. format, but we we're just trying to kind of survive on the farm 200 years ago <laughs> without, like, oh. the cur- current luxury or anything. So right. uh, it's, a, it's a competition. So every episode, someone goes home. So wait, so what is what is the thing that you didn't have access to on the farm that you, you missed or needed the most? Uh, we didn't have access kind of to anything pretty much, like no phones, no technology, uh, obviously no TVs, couldn't talk to our families, like no contact to outside world, no electricity, no running water, no toilets, or pretty much nothing. Simple life, but going through that show and living there for 30 days. I don't know if I ever missed those things. Like, <laughs> I think living that simple life was so in, like, so awesome. Just like, you just learn to live with the little things you have in life. You couldn't Google how to milk a cow, in other words. No, but we have to <laughs> learn it on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is an incredible start, but I'm going to get to the ice. I'm curious, you know, we're a year past now the epic gold medal game between U.S. and Finland in the World Championships. And it was in Finland, and it was a pretty controversial ending. Uh, looking back on it now, like, what are your thoughts on the game and how it ended? Um, I mean, the game was definitely bittersweet, but it could have gone either way. I can, after the game, I was only thinking, like, well, what if the exact the same career the situation happened to me like how would I react like I probably would have thought it's a goalie interference and then the whole Finland would have gone crazy and be like it's a goalie interference whereas now it happened to Rixby and Team USA so of course the whole country of Finland is pissed because it was a goalie interference but I kind of like turned around and thought like what if it happens to me like what would I hope the call to be and this time it went to US way and uh, the hockey gods were not on our side, and we only got silver, only got silver. I mean, it was almost like winning the world championship for us to even play in the finals. So I think it was just an overall historic tournament and um, really helped grow the game in Finland. For sure. Do you have a favorite uh, Olympics? Um, you know, not only what was going on on the ice, but the village, the the place where it was held, all that stuff? Yeah. For sure, Vancouver, 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you can't beat Canadian hockey fans. Um, of course, all four Olympics have been great, but um, Canada, just crazy hockey country, playing in Vancouver, uh, full house against Canada, 16,000 people, singing all Canada. Even if I, were, I was on the losing side, I thought it was <laughs> super cool. So um, definitely 2010. That's awesome. No, we're, you know, in the middle of this pandemic and we're thinking a lot about hockey's future and, you know, you've been a really active member of the PHWPA um, and, you know, these women who are fighting for a really professional pro league here in North America. And I'm curious, you know, you had so much momentum going from last year and now we have this pandemic and we don't know what kind of economics are going to come out of it. 
Are you a little bit worried that companies or maybe leagues are going to stop funding women's sports and, and that this could have a negative impact on women's hockey? Yeah. I mean, um, we had such a thing, good thing going on and we were taking steps to right direction and we were hopeful to have something big next year, but then the corona hit and everything kind of stopped. Um, but on the positive side, like, there's not so much money involved on the women's side, so we're definitely not hurting as much as the men's sports. I mean, those are, like, billion-dollar businesses, and we're nowhere close to that. So, like, the financial aspect is not as big for our sport than for men. So I try to take the positives and then um, kind of start building again once it's healthy and and we're back to normal. So... It will definitely be interesting how it affects the sports, and um, I hope NHL gets going and other major leagues get going so that we can kind of start taking those steps the right direction too. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. I mean, that I, I haven't heard that voice before that the, the bigger organizations might have a little bit more of an uh, uh, an impact on them than than a more streamlined operation like like you know, the USA versus Canada games that were being played last year. That's a good point. Um, I wanted to ask you about your time in China. Uh, I read a lot about your time in China. Um, and you talked specifically about, you know, trying to get young, young people excited to maybe play hockey in China from your time there. What, what's the feasibility of that becoming a, a hockey market? Is there enough interest there? If there's not in your experiences there, what needs to happen for hockey to maybe take root in what's a, in a place where a lot of people are, are excited about maybe hockey making inroads at some point. Yeah, I mean it's been super interesting for years, and I think when we moved to southern China and Shenzhen, like no one even knew what hockey is. Like mm. we would have to explain to like people we saw on the street like what hockey means, and we would invite them to the games, and we didn't have such a big audience our first year, and there was no youth or grassroots hockey programs in Shenzhen, but going to year three this year, our companies are like skills coaches, and there's UA, U10, U12, U16. We have youth teams in the organization playing out of the same rank. Um, there's hockey clinics being organized, and more and more, more people are getting familiar with hockey. And actually one of the games, is, or a couple of the games this year, we had over 4,000 people to come oh, wow. and watch us. So it's it's grown a lot in three years, and I know it's getting really big in Beijing. Like Shenzhen, where we're based, is necessarily not the biggest hockey market mm. down there, but the potential is definitely there. And I feel like because they really have endless amount of money in China, so if they <laughs> decide they want to be good at something, I think it will happen, happen sooner or later. But at the same time, I think the problem where they might run is that they kind of have this way of thinking where they think you can buy everything with money. But mm. one thing you can't buy with money is success. So they need a lot of patience to actually, like, build it from grassroots up. Like, you can't just tell someone, okay, you 16-year-old, put a hockey stick in your hand and go play in the Olympics. So it's kind of uh, a lot. They need a lot more patience out there to kind of build it from the scratch. And it's I, I think the Beijing Olympics are going to come too quick, but looking 10 years from now, I wouldn't be surprised if China is a powerhouse in hockey. Wow. 
So, you know, you went over there initially because they were part of the China knees team for the CWHL and you played in that league. And you also um, played for the Women's Hockey League, which is uh, Russia's league. And you and I had talked about just kind of how professionally that ru- league is run and, and how surprising it is to a lot of people uh, here, especially in Western countries. And I'm curious, you know, we talked about the PHWA and there is a league that does exist in North America. It's the NWHL. And they were kind of in the news. Sorry, there's a very roundabout way for me to ask you this question. Um, <laughs> but there was a story that came out a couple weeks ago about some of the treatment that players received in the NWHL. And there were some pretty disturbing anecdotes, like the conditions in the locker room players having to pee in trash cans um if you did you read that story and kind of what were your thoughts and and what are your thoughts on kind of how the nwhl evolved and why you're currently not playing in it yeah so i personally never played in nwhl as you say so i don't really have an opinion on the league because i personally haven't experienced it but i've of course heard stories like seeing the trash can stories but i was still surprised when the stories came out and i think players have the right to kind of tell the truth and I have no doubt that the league's getting better every year and they're trying to make the player experience a lot better too I mean every league's going to have their hiccups and I hope they're headed to the direction where like the players can get professional resources and um, I personally been asked to play there every year but (laughs) with visas and my current visa status in U.S. it wouldn't make sense for me to give up my current visa and move out to East Coast and make the kind of not a livable salary that I'm currently making in Minnesota. So just like the logistics wise and me being, me being an immigrant, um, I haven't seen that league would be a good fit for me. And then of course the past three years getting treated, like I never thought I could get treated as a professional women's hockey player in China being a true a true blessing to be able to be there for three years and experience all the things we have because I don't think any team in world can treat their players like the Kunlun Red Star does. So wow. just personally, um, I think NWHL it's a really good fit for some players, but for me personally, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a good fit for my career. Right. All right. Last one for me. Who's your favorite goalie of all time? Any league, any gender? Who is your favorite goalie of all time? Uh, yeah, so growing up, I didn't really have any female role models. In fact, I didn't find out that girls play hockey till I think I was like 12 or 13 when my mom took me to world championships in Finland in my hometown. Uh, so that was the first time I actually found out that girls, other girls play hockey. So growing up, I was a huge Maple Leafs fan, and Curtis Joseph was my number mm. one goalie. So I, I have his jersey too signed, That's which awesome. is pretty cool. And That's then awesome. uh, later on, I started being a fan of, of uh, Man in Rome. I don't, did I say the last name right? Man, Rome, yeah. Well, yep. every, yeah, everyone goes to know Man, and so started being her fan as her being the, the first female in NHL. The interesting thing about goalies in women's hockey, especially on the international stage, I've, I've covered um, a few Olympics. I was always fascinated that, you know, even against teams like Canada and the U.S., Finland, other teams that had a strong goaltender, the games would be competitive. Uh, and it was such a, a difference maker uh, on the international stage where even if the uh, total teams were uh, differences in talent, the goaltender could make the games a heck of a lot closer. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, goaltending can like it can either break you, or it can win you a lot of games. So I think that's <laughs> one of the main reasons I chose to be a goaltender because I can be a difference maker. I kind of be in the spotlight. So uh, I know that for Team Finland, when I'm playing, like uh, if I'm having a bad game against USA Canada, it might get pretty ugly. But if I'm on my game, it's probably going to be close and. <laughs> we have a good chance of winning. So yes, on the the female side, where there still is some kind of skills gap between European and North American countries, I think goaltending plays a, a huge role in those games. Nora, last one for me. I would just love to know where you're at in your career. I feel like I've heard so many rumors many times of you possibly retiring, and I promise I'm not just floating it out there because we're both Americans and we want America to win every world championship and Olympic, but where do you stand? Would you like to play another Olympics? Like, What's your goals right now? Yeah, that's a tough one, and then I kind of taken an attitude where as of right now, I'm not taking one day at a time. So if I wake tomorrow morning and I'm like, yeah, I want to go training. I want to be training to the Olympics. Then I'll, I'll go training and give it my all. But then let's say I wake up next week and I'm not feeling it anymore. Then I'm going to hang up my skates. Well, good thing as of right now, I'm still feeling it and I'm still enjoying training. So uh, as of right now, I'm going to continue playing. But I haven't set up any any bigger goals for me. So who knows if I'm going to play the next Olympics or not. Uh, I think the time will tell. And for me, a big one is what's going to happen with PA and if we're going to have a professional league in North America or not. So so longer it takes for us to not have a league, the closer until the retirement. But let's say we can get something cool started. I definitely want to be part of that. Nora, thank you so much uh, for your time. And uh, I, I mean, even though I guess it's done, good luck. On the farming show. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited for the final episode, even if I know uh, what happened. <laughs> well, hold on. Before we let you go, do you have to sign a thing that says you can't say what happened, or is it like the honor system? Uh, when are you going to publish this podcast? Oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't tell us anything. We don't want to spoil the show for the Finns. I'm just asking, like, when you're on a show like this, like, if you were to give it away, could they come back and sue you for, like, a million dollars for blowing the show? Yeah, if I told someone what happened, they would find me for fifty thousand euros. That's like a that's like a three million dollars American. <laughs> Almost with the current with the current rates. Yeah, <laughs> we're math majors here. <laughs> awesome, Kitos. Yeah. We appreciate you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get to some listener mail. Stevie said, "Yup." Okay said, uh, what can hockey do to fix the racism issue? I feel like that's one of the biggest hurdles that's keeping the sport from regressing. Obviously, this is uh, on the heels of the Akeem Alou, uh, uh essay on the Players' Tribune. Good to see hockey players still working with the Tri- Players' Tribune, apparently. Um, and it was a really thoughtful essay. I mean, it, it was very – it called out Steve Downey. Um, it, it talked in stark terms about the facade of the hockey is for everyone movement. Um, it was really good and, and really insightful and really in-depth, and, and I enjoyed um, a lot of the talk that he had about the pre-programming of players by coaches and how that really kind of affects the way that, that players can kind of speak out on these issues. Um, what can it do to fix the racism issue? 
I mean, I think I, I, I the Rooney rule is is something that probably deserves its own podcast if we're going to get into it. But I think that his point is well taken, which is that the way that you fix hockey's racism issue is to not make it homogenous. And um, that goes for hockey's sexism issues and hockey's demographic issues and all of it. It's to not make it homogenous. And that starts with management and it, it, then it goes to coaching um, and then, you know, eventually the players as well. Um, but you have to change the makeup of the gatekeepers in this league and in this sport. And until that happens, then there's not going to be a whole hell of a lot of real change being affected. Yeah, I agree with you. The Rooney rule, we should get into at some point. I once asked Bill Daly if they would ever consider in the NHL, and he pretty much gave me an answer of, yes, you know, we could consider something along those lines, but the Rooney rule itself is flawed, as we all know, and has come to surface this week. Um, But the issue of diversifying hockey, I think, is the root of this. And we need to have representation. We need to have visibility. We need to have locker rooms where, you know, these conversations happen more often. It's not just one token player. Um, Mm -hmm. And one thing I will say is I am a little concerned about hockey right now because as much momentum as we have made recently, it still feels like we're in a pretty bad place. And we're now going to hit an economic recession and it's going to cut a lot of programming. And, you know, we do know that hockey is a cost prohibitive sport. American and Canadian families are probably going to be in uh, lesser economic, you know, positions than they were a year ago. And all of a sudden, um, maybe it's going to be harder to make hockey truly for everyone. And we're going to have to work that much harder to continue these goals. On top of people being priced out of the arena, too, um, which could be right. a thing that very much happens. Uh, as we all reconsider our entertainment expenditures. All right, time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. It's the segment each week where we take a look at the hockey media, its foibles, its hyperboles, its mistakes. Steve Simmons, the patron saint of Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, uh, said this week, why does it matter where NHL games are going to be played? It's, we're not going to be there. We'll be watching on TV. I mean, I don't know. Let's see. Available testing facilities that can actually quarantine the players. This is between the practice facility and the actual arena. I don't know, Steve. There's probably like three or four million reasons why it's important you pick the right place to hold empty arena games. I mean, just off the top of my head. Uh, now it's time for puck headlines real quick. Dateline, Fortnite. Congrats to the St. Louis Blues team of Vince Dunn, Robert Thomas, and Jordan Cairo for winning the first ever NHLPA Fortnite Open, an event that I wrote about but did not get a chance to watch, but I will definitely double back and watch it because I'm very excited to see how it played out. All NHL teams sniping at each other in Fortnite. An awesome idea. Zach Hyman and JT Comper put it together for the NHLPA, and I think it raised over $100,000. So congrats to the Blues. Blues win everything now. That's just how it is. Yeah. Fortnite. And it was streamed on ESPN, which was cool. Uh, you know, I'm actually pissed, not pissed, but disappointed you didn't see it because I did tune in for like two minutes and it seemed like Team Winnipeg was doing really, really well. They were in first place and I just wanted to know what happened. Well, in Team Winnipeg, obviously, uh, you know, it's like it's like it, you get better by practicing against the best. I'm sure Patrick Laine, who did not unfortunately partake in the tournament, uh, has made those boys That's better. That's a flex by them. We can be in first place without Laine. Right? Yeah, it's right. It's like it's it's like the nine, the ninety uh, Edmonton Oilers winning without Gretzky. Um, Dateline uh, polling. 
538 and Ipsos have released a new survey asking how Americans feel about attending sporting events as COVID-19 continues to disrupt these large gatherings. Um, but here's what we're focusing on. Of the 1,100 fans they surveyed, 29% said they were, quote, a major casual fan or follow a little of hockey. That's 29% of over 1,100 people. Only golf and NASCAR uh, ranked behind hockey. 70% of respondents said they never watch hockey. So anyway, that's the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're now canceled. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Jesus, that's depressing. Come on, boys. Let's, let's do better. Uh, finally, and let's Dateline. just point out that Greg, oh, yeah. Greg curated this headline. He chose to put it in the show. I did. Yeah. Just, just self-loathing New Jersey. Uh, finally, Dateline, uh, Greg and Emily Rewatch Club. We rewatched Miracle. You'll read about it on Friday when um, Miracle will be shown on ESPN or where is that what they're doing or where are they putting Miracle on? It's on one of the TV channels, either ESPN or ESPN2. Awesome. Um, I hadn't seen the, the flick in its entirety in a bit and um, I'm with you. Like we, we both, one of the categories that we did was like who had the best performance in the movie by someone not named Kurt Russell and your pick of the um, uh, Jack O'Callaghan kid who unfortunately uh passed a few years ago uh i forgot how good he was in that movie man every single scene he's in he just like captivates the screen yeah it's a it's a tragic story um mike mantunetto i probably butchered his name but um yeah his career in hollywood he was actually a college hockey player himself he played a main um career in hollywood didn't really go off he enlisted in the army as a green beret um was really active talking about mental health issues and then ended up committing suicide in 2017 yeah. so um yeah. it was just haunting to watch that movie knowing that um yeah. but he was incredible that said he, like i haven't right, watched yeah. it in yeah, a little bit either. Like there was a couple things now as older self. I'm like, why do they have to make Patty Brooks such a wet blanket? Like that was such a <laughs> sports movie trope to have the wife just nagging, being like, you have a good life here in Minnesota. Don't worry about, you know, pride of our country and Olympic gold. So it was great though. I love that movie. It's totally rewatchable for me. I teared up when he had to cut the kid before um, the Olympics. Yeah, that was really. Rap I forgot how emotional the scene that is because like Brooks Brooks was cut famously before the two thousand. The, the uh, sorry, the nineteen sixty Olympics. And the other thing that really spoiler got me, alert. Oh, sorry. And then the other thing that got me was also spoiler alert when they win. Um, that scene of of him kind of like celebrating on his own in the bowels of the arena, like in the darkness yeah. and away from people, like like the facade that. Brooks put up at all times in front of his players and in front of everybody else. And then to have that moment just kind of like of catharsis was, I, I forgot how wonderful that scene is. All right. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show during a shutdown. And, uh, yeah, reach out to us on Twitter at Wyshynski at, M- at Emily M. Kaplan. Is it on Twitter? Or? Yeah. Screw Emily Kaplan. She's just hoarding that Twitter <laughs> handle. And uh, do you read us on the ES- we got we got stuff for you every day on ESPN.com. Hope you've been enjoying it. Um, Emily's uh, 31 team uh, grudges list was a favorite of mine in in, in, uh, in recent times. And uh, thanks to Ryan for producing. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.